Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi there, I'm Brian Abana and you're listening to the Mall Over Podcast. Hello, good evening and welcome to this week's Mall Over Podcast. The only rugby podcast that gives you the news, views and opinion on the weekend's rugby action or with a West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Mallover Podcast. We are Mallover Rugby Podcast on Facebook. And you can find all of our podcasts on Anchor as well as Apple Podcasts and the Google Store. I think maybe even on Spotify and some other places that, that do podcasts. Uh, this week, I'm joined by Ben and the Lensman. Good evening, chaps. Now then. Evening. Nice, short, sharp introduction. Uh, no Housewives favourite this week. He is a massive pussy. Um, and and he's not here, uh, so feel free to abuse him in any way, shape, or form. I imagine Phil is like the um, Brooks Kepka of uh, podcasts. In what way? Have I not told you the Brooks Kepka story? No, tell it. Uh, basically, on one of the golf tournaments that I worked on, somebody described Brooks, uh, Brooks Kepka, Kepka as. Um, <laughs> He said, that guy has slayed so much pussy. <laughs> I mean, probably not Phil. <laughs> Phil being the housewife's favourite. <laughs> I mean, when, when if, if we were to say, the only, the only way I think Phil would have slayed so much pussy is if he, is if he was... Got a job uh, as a pet. Got a, as pet a pet, pet vet, yeah. <laughs> And that that would two be... more for the tally. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, diddles. A small animal vet with lots of uh, cat deaths under his belt. Slayer, <laughs> right? <laughs> anyway, you know uh, what happens uh, when you're not here. Non-work friendly start to a podcast, isn't it? Yeah. Well, when you're not here, Phil, that's what you get. Um, let's talk about some. Autumn Nations Cup. There we go. That that's that's the noise we all love to hear. Doug's rattly iPad. Oh yeah, sorry lads. I'll, um, um, let me try and prop it up somewhere. Yeah. Well, while while you're doing that, if you if you mute yourself and me and Ben will talk about England for a minute. Um, let's 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 talk about that, Ben. Shall we? Uh, I didn't really watch any uh, of the other Nations Cup matches, but I did uh, intently watch England versus France on Sunday. Uh, the final of the Autumn Nations Cup, England's premier rugby team, basically full strength against what can only be described as a second stroke third French string side um, with a combined cap total of probably, well, much less than Ben Young's, um, <laughs> but probably less than quite a few of the England players. I think their bench only had about... 12 caps between them so uh first of all um what what did you what did you make of it i mean you you we've been quite vocal in our 
in the Twitter group of the the Mallover Invitational Fancy Rugby Draft, where I was very vocal about my feelings of England's performance. Um, um, full I, disclosure: I I didn't watch the game, so I probably keep, won't weigh in too much. Yeah, keep your fucking mouth shut then. Um, Jesus. <laughs> um so yeah ben what's um yeah voice of re- voice of reason before i start to lose my mind probably unnecessarily in some people's eyes um i mean i'm not going to pretend that they played particularly well um but i think the first half was quite bad uh but i was pretty confident it wasn't going to completely fall to pieces. I mean, I actually thought England would sort of pull away quicker than they did. Um, but I, I think they they completely butchered a chance just before half time when um, they played a bit of decent rugby and got to the line and then just kept battering away from close range. And at one stage, you you saw the whole back line had spotted a an overlap. I think they had about a seven on two on the left-hand side, but the props just held it in because that's what props do. Um, I think if England had scored there, I think it would have been quite a different game. Um, You know, France, they had nothing to lose and they played like it. And I thought they were brilliant. Um, Dulan at fullbacks, a really good player. Um, That wing is a big old unit and the the pack was excellent. And they just, they played really well. And and who's to say a lot of them are going to stay as third stringers. They could, you know, within a year's time, they might well be part of the first team. Um, but I thought, well, while England weren't particularly inspiring in the second half, they pretty much were camped in the French half. And once they actually got their um, act together for a couple of phases, they scored a try. Um, well, they, they, they only scored. They only scored a try after a couple of suspect penalties and kicking to the they were very suspect you've got to say that but i mean daily butchered a couple of overlaps um i just think on another day england would have played badly and won probably by 10 points um so so farrell farrell missed four penalties on the day including that one in extra time didn't he which which would have given us a comfortable victory in the in the game you mentioned Elliot Daly has butchered a couple of... You can't say that they were clear try-scoring opportunities because they weren't. However, at that level, you've got to, you've got to even, at least draw a man well, before you pass it. And the, the, the passes were fucking rubbish as well. One, one wasn't a great... You know, one was a 50-50, wasn't it? You know, it might have resulted in something it might not have done. But there was one where it looked for all all the world like it was an easy try, you know, and all, but he didn't straighten at all. And then he passed too early and it just, it just completely closed all the space. Um, yeah. I, I know I'm probably going to start sticking up for England pretty soon, but I, I don't want to pretend they were brilliant or anything like that. But I think pro- the props played. Okay. Um, Atoje was brilliant again. Billy had a good game. Actually, I think from this autumn, you could probably say Young's is probably still worth his place. Not seen much to like with Robson. I don't think Robson's been... Me. It is, but Robson hasn't been given too much of an opportunity, I don't think. No, and, and I do think Spencer is probably the best option. 100%. But, um, I think 
the, the, the question marks in this England side are where we've always always thought they are. Your, your 10, 12, 13 mix and your fullback. Yeah. So here, here's the thing, right? We can start with Elliot Daly, who consistently, and I know you've said for some time, Ben, and you know I've I've agreed to a certain extent. When Elliot Daly played on the plays on the wing for England, he looks like a completely different player. He looks like he can make gaps. He looks like he can do all sorts of stuff, and he gets involved. And he, you know he's fantastic. When he plays at fullback, he is suspect under the high ball. When he does take the ball into contact or when he does carry the ball with a bit of space, he seems to always, always find contact. I don't know if you notice this. He tends, he tends to just sort of run up the middle of the field into big groups of players. It's really, you know, it's, it's, I can't remember him. I can't remember the last time he made even a half decent um, break or try and find a gap. He's good at, if it's completely broken and, and, but you know, completely broken play, he'll find a gap and quite often make a good decision. And he's good in very structured play in that if he's just stepping in to be an extra boot, but in sort of what you would call old school fullback play, like he's caught a a high ball and then he's got to decide what to do with it. He doesn't seem to decide. I think was it Frank said in the group. He, you can almost tell he's not a natural at the position because he's thinking about what he's going to do rather than just doing it. Yeah, and I think that's really fair. And I'd still, I'd still rather have him than Mike Brown catching the ball, running into an isolated tackle and turning it over. But Elliot, but Elliot Daly, Elliot Daly does kind of do that, except but, he doesn't run into an isolate into an isolated space. He just runs in quite often. He's dropped it first. Yeah. And uh, you know what Elliot Daly reminds me of? He reminds me, when he gets the ball in that position, he reminds me of like a veteran... A young me? Veteran running back, like an Adrian Peterson or somebody who is just uh, trying their best to run into as many bodies as possible so they don't have to carry the ball forward as much. And it's just like, you know, try at least try and find a gap. It it just it beggars belief, and like you say, Ben, that's after he's he's had to go through the rigmarole of actually catching the ball as well. I just um, think he's a, he's a great rugby player, and it, and it's great to have him in the side. But I don't think that's the the, the right yeah. place for him. I agree. I think on the wing, I think he he can still go looking for work, and I think that works. Yeah, I mean he he started off as an outside centre, yeah. and he's definitely got the outside break for that. Yeah, I mean, um, when he played on the wing, he scored tries and he made yeah. things happen. And he he looked rapid, he looked quick, he looked exciting. At fullback, I just I I struggle to see what he offers. Um, I think it's a bit of an Atoje at six thing. I think he putting him at fullback potentially weakens two positions. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, I'd happily have him on the wing for England. I would have no no problems with that at all. All he had to do is just swap him and Watson. Well, I think he, he's not fine. one of the two best wingers in the country. No, maybe maybe he's not. But he doesn't play. He doesn't play on the wing, really, for anybody. If you talk, you could argue what what position does Elliot Daly actually play? What well, is his position? He's not playing for anyone at the moment, is he? Well, I mean, when he was at Saracens, were they playing him at fullback? They weren't. No, no it was Liam William Liam Williams or Good? So just uh, yeah. 
Uh, he just didn't have a great game. Either. I can't remember the last time he had a great game, or even a good game, or even an adequate game. Well, look, the thing I think the thing that keeps him in the side is he does Felice, like Felicio he and Eddie Jones. No, he he did well, maybe, but he he does things like he did in that Wales game. You know where he scored in the corner. I think he's just one of those players that can just make something happen out of nothing. And <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> he's almost worth carrying for that ability because yeah. there's not many of those people that can do that in well, international and, rugby. And in the way England play, if they are going to kick a lot, then his his boot is in his favour, isn't it? Because <laughs> you know. If if you did have Watson at the back there, he is he isn't probably going to step in as a first receiver and ping the ball down into the corner. Okay, so with that with that in mind, then Ben, what is the point? If what is the point? And you've you kind of segued nicely there. What is the point in having a, a receiving and kicking fullback like Elliot Daly when you've got George Ford, Owen Farrell, and Henry Slade on the pitch? I think at the moment, what they, I've said this every week, they have a couple of darts, and if they don't get anywhere, they kick it away. And he, and it's almost like Eddie wants the option of having two on each side, because Ford and Farrell get rid of it if it's if there's nothing on and it's reasonably tight. And then if they, because a couple of times you'll see them, they'll swing it out to either the outside centre or the fullback, and they have a look to see if there's anything on, and if there isn't, they kick it away from there. Um, and it's all to do with these new laws or the new interpretation of the laws. Because if you get to, if you get caught out wide and tackled, you've lost the ball. Um, I, I, I get it. Right? I get, I get the interpretation of the the laws. I get the game plan. I understand the theory behind the game plan to play in the opposition half. So by kicking it downfield. You're making the opposition do something. You're getting net gains to then be able to play in attacking areas rather than have the uh, the chance that you might get turned over, let's say, from the opposition 10-metre line back. You don't want to be turned over there because that will allow the, the opposition to kick into your 22 and an attack on you. What I don't understand is... That game plan is so one-dimensional that when the execution of it is not spot on, which or, or France don't play into your hands by yeah, because they, France, they France were back. never France were never going to play that sort of game. I, I, mean, I think it's just being taken. I think it's an effective game plan, and against Ireland, it worked perfectly. Um, but I think they just overdo it a little bit, especially. They're still doing it in the opposition 22. And at that F- point, you're just giving away possession. F- Farrell, Farrell kit in the first half. Uh, no, in the second, second half. half. Farrell from, it was probably only about 15 meters out from the line. Yeah. And he went for a big high cross field kick. And, you know, for a minute, Which I is, thought, oh, have we got, have we got an penalty, advantage? Yeah. Penalty I mean, advantage. That, that's 50-50 at best, isn't it? And, and England I don't actually... even think it's 50-50 punched a few holes there hadn't they and and yeah. if they would kept the ball but I that's just... where that's where patience comes in you know you watch you watch Exeter or you watch the best teams in that position and it's patience they know what they know what to do they know how to do it 
and they execute it. Sometimes yeah. I watch England in that position, similarly in that first half where they had that eight-man overlap and they could have just got a, 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 one more phase, quick ball, spin it out, it's try time. But they didn't. They kept punching it and punching it and punching it. And I, and I don't, you know, I don't like to keep using that, the analogy, but if that was Exeter, they would have recognised that and, and somebody would have taken control and they would have scored in that situation. Absolutely no doubt. And you can applaud that French defence all you all you want. And, you know, yes, it, it was very good. But England fucked that up. As good as that French defence was, it was really bad play from England. I think they just expected to score, didn't they? Because the way the French defended their goal line was, was exceptional. There's yeah. no taking that away from them. And I think England thought they'd have scored by that point. Um, I, I just... I know, I know you're very much more critical than I am, Russ. But I, I think they have won eight in a row. And I, I do think as well that everyone's tactics are going to... This, this new interpretation is still relatively new. And I think everyone's tactics are going to adjust to it. I think once that happens, they might open up a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm just, I am just a little bit worried at the moment that England's performances throughout this autumn, right from that first Italy game where they kicked and kicked and kicked, and it was just, it was, it was just mediocre. The performance against Ireland was defensively incredible, but you know. Johnny May scored that try from basically on our own try line, which would have which would have made the game extremely close had he not done it. The game against Wales was rubbish, but it, we were lucky that Wales were just more rubbish than us. And then against France on on Sunday, it's the same game plan it, and and the inability or unflexibility to change when things aren't quite working. And you have to accept sometimes that if a game plan's not working because of execution, then maybe you need to to switch it up a little bit and try something a little bit different because the kicking game on Sunday just did not work. And and that, again, that was mostly down to execution. The amount of kicks that were too long uh, that allowed um, uh, marks, and the amount of kicks that were too long that uh, enabled France to, to take it un- basically uncontested. And it just, you know, I, I've, I really struggle. If you're going to play George Ford at, at 10, then you need to have a little bit more of a attacking intent for me, because that's what George Ford is good at. If you're going to play that kick it, that kick in, monotonous style of rugby, then you may as well just pick Owen Farrell at 10 and you can have a mop and bucket and a fucking hat stand at 12 and 13 because they're not getting used. And people criticised Henry Slade for his, for his performance on, on, on Sunday. He barely had the ball. You, know, you can't criticise someone. I thought with... Slade played quite well on Sunday. Yeah, but he did. Um... But, you know, and, and the same for... Um, uh, for Lawrence when he's played, the same for Joseph when he's played. Um, it just, no, Ford, Farrell, Slade will work if we are playing rugby. If we are getting the ball through through the hands and we were getting people involved because they're, they're playmakers. 
I st- I'm getting really frustrated with Owen Farrell at 12 because I don't think he offers anything. The more he plays at 12, the less I see he offers. He's he's just not playing well. He And he wasn't playing well for Saracens for a long time. Um, I just don't think he's in very good form. And he's captain, so he's going to keep playing. Um, you know, I think Ford deserves some criticism on Sunday. But actually, two or three times, he, he pulled England out of the fire, really. Um, the uh, the penalty into the corner for the try was a very good kick, and it was noticeable that he took it rather than Farrell. Yeah. Um, and uh, just in the run up to that, the he looked like he was going to get absolutely smashed by the winger, and that would have you know yeah clearly... a little sidestep yeah. And there was also um, a little intervention um, in the run up to the the penalty that won the game as well. And and you know at least he showed a few sort of flashes of class, whereas was Farrell just had a rough day. I think he missed nine tackles, didn't he? Yeah, he missed. And it, it was him that bit in for the the French try. Yeah. And you know. I don't think, you know, anyone's saying he's a bad player, but he might just be out of form and maybe needs a couple of uh, games off. Well, the thing is, he's got lots of games off now, hasn't he? Well, yeah. You know, and, and that and that's the, that's the worrying thing, because by the time Owen Farrell next probably straps on a pair of competitive boots, we'll be back, back round to the Six Nations. And we're, and, we're back, and we're back to square one. But, you know, you know... They say good sides win when they don't play well, and they did finally pull it out of the fire with a little bit of help from the referee. It must oh, yeah. be must be said. He um, was fucking terrible. Like, there was no knock on there, was there? And there were, and there looked like two knock ons in almost consecutive rucks, wasn't it? He um, had a just, yeah just before England won a yeah, penalty. Oh, well, what I will say though is, uh, do you not think when when Cowan Dickey scored that try and Farrell nailed that conversion in the la- in the last second? That the French came out screaming. Did you hear them coming out screaming to charge? Yeah. Them? Well, Earl it should actually, have actually been a penalty restart. Well, Earl did actually ask that, didn't he? He asked um, Andrew. Brace. Hear it? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he asked him or Eddie Jones if they were getting a penalty. But could could you imagine the controversy of that? Because Slate um, Daly might have just slotted that from from, cent, from the central the cent- spot. Like, yeah, but yeah. then. That that sh- that should have happened, but I mean, I thought uh, you know Andrew Brace didn't have a didn't have a great game, um, unfortunately for him, and that that's been highlighted highlighted quite a bit. Uh, I, I don't Not like Twitter, yeah. is it? No. I feel like I feel like I've been really really doom and gloom um, about England. I probably have. <laughs> so over to Doug. <laughs> over, over to Doug. Um, but it just it's just frustrating, and Eddie Jones is. On in the press conference and stuff like that, as, as said about like, level criticism at the press, to say it's unfair and um, disrespectful for the players to to criticise them after that performance and stuff like that, and it's just typical well, Eddie Jones. Let, let, let me come in on that. Disrespectful to the players. Well, fine. They've won a Mickey Mouse tournament that nobody gives a shit about. They've won absolutely bugger all since. Uh, you know they they got. Apps, they got their asses handed to them in a World Cup final. So, well, I mean, the, the the whole term of disrespecting the players pisses me off because, like, if you don't play badly, you deserve to get criticism. International rugby is a series of one-off events. There should be no such thing as, you know, 
senior players in an international squad, you're you're only as good as your last game, and it it really frustrates me that this this sort of coach speak, which means you, they're they're just immune to criticism. They play badly. Oh, you're disrespecting them. No, I'm yeah, I'm disrespecting them. They played shit. No, if I go into work and I do a bad job, I get disrespected. I don't get somebody standing there going, oh, don't don't show them disrespect. Why not? They were shit. Yeah. So that annoys me. Eddie Jones has worn, worn his welcome out, I'm, I'm afraid. I I don't like the brand of rugby they're playing. Um, I don't like him as a bloke. I think he's a shit bloke. I think Owen Farrell's a shit bloke, and that's as an Englishman who likes watching England win. I think he's a shit bloke who doesn't like being criticised. Hence you know, his reaction in the press conference. Yeah, there is um, a thing about Owen Farrell, very quickly, sorry to interrupt you, Paul. Sorry. At what point, where you're having a nightmare with the boot, and you've got George Ford and Elliot Daly, who are both very he's competent too, He's got too much ego. He's got that, such a chip I, on his shoulder. I said that exact thing in in the um, the the, uh, the Twitter group, is that <clears throat> Owen Farrell missed several kicks at goal, and he had every opportunity to say to George Ford, listen, I'm having a bit of a shit time. Just yeah. take over. Just have, yeah, just have yeah, one seat. It to Jimmy Goffert in the Wasp match, and he gave it to Jacob Umanga, who then spanked one wide from about four yards right at the post. The, so, one, um, the one that Farrell missed from right in front of the posts, that should have been the last kick he took in the yeah, game. Hubris, mate. Owen Farrell is a walking brick of hubris. Yeah, I agree. But we, we we do you know we you know we did it under um, done it under many coaches where we win games until we need to win the big one and then we don't and and it's hubris so all, all you can say um, yeah fine you know Eddie's got these weird selection things I've, I'm just I'm tired of talking about it. You know, the, the, there are players that deserve to be picked that aren't being picked, and it's madness. Why? I just who, don't understand. Who would you say that is, though, Dad? Other than so, Spencer, I, I would biff, and I'm not just saying this for to to, to be contrary. Vin, Billy Vanapola would be gone. I think I think he's he's gone over the edge and he's on the descent. And I think you need to get somebody in that can play eight, be that Simmons, or if you convert Curry to eight and then put Willis on the flank, because these lads need the games. Billy Vinopola will not play in the next World Cup, so what's the point of playing him now? What is the point? The bloke's arm, the bloke's arms are made out of mashes. They're like, you know. Um, Marla, there's no point Marla being in the squad. He offers nothing, um, especially when you've got players in and around that sort of area that you know could do could do a job. Um, you've already mentioned Elliot Daly. I think he's probably due being given the elbow. Um, what I will say, Ollie Thorley, that's not getting a look in yeah. when he's been comfortably the best winner, winger in England for nigh on two seasons. Um, you've got, for some reason, Jacob Umanga making squads and Marcus Smith, who's 
consistently brilliant, nowhere near the team. It it makes no sense, and and we use we've used the oh Eddie knows best. He's done it for decades. Yeah, maybe he does, but I also think the Aussie in him refuses to let pre- the the English press have their way with his squad. Specifically, the English press. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I think if the English squad are cla- if the English press are clamouring for a player to get picked, just ain't going to do it. And it's nothing to do with the player; it's everything to do I, with Jones's ego. I don't think that's incorrect, um, but I, I I do think largely his squad is about right. There is a couple of issues there, but you know, I I still think Billy's our best number eight. I don't think there's a lot of doubt about it. Um, I, I think, but the problem the problem with Billy is that. He he does one thing and one thing only. I don't. He doesn't offer the stuff around the park that I was the biggest doubter of Curry at eight, but having seen what he did, and even Mark Wilson, yeah, you know, one of those guys offers more around the park and offers more in the terms of the larger picture than Billy Bunapola. I will, he's I will just say, a battering ram. He's just, he's yeah. just. Um, but Billy, front, but, front football is 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 key, but, especially but ben, to this England team. And and without Billy, you're you're, you're lacking. Your oh, sort of shot I, carrier I would there. disagree. I would I would suggest totally that we, after watching a lot of games this this autumn, that Ben Curry, uh, sorry Tom Curry, offered quite a bit of front foot. You see the way that Tom Curry and Sam Underhill are now carrying the ball into contact. Remember, remember when Billy broke his arm? the 18th time a couple of years ago and we had Wilson yeah Curry and that's when the Curry um Underhill Underhill pairing took off wasn't it and we had Ben Moon in the in the front row and we lost narrowly to New Zealand and we just played in a different manner and I think we play in a better and more creative and thoughtful way but I think with Billy it's just uh, Billy's there just he can take the kicks from eight and just smash it up and then we'll just smash it up again and again and again and I just I think I think we're a better team without him in it well one thing I will say in, in kind of defense of, of Billy Bonapone he has been a lot more noticeable in defense mm. with his with his tackling um, but I would I would suggest that his primary role, which would be to give us front football, he hasn't been as effective at. Whilst he's been better in other areas, there's that we're not called, used to. There's a guy called Bill Simmons who does a good podcast that I like. I've probably recommended it before. Um, he has this thing called the Ewing theory, which is that a team's best player can sometimes be the thing that holds them back. So with the reason it's the Ewing theory is Patrick, Patrick, Patrick Ewing with the New York Knicks. JR. Whenever he was out, they played better. Until he got shot. <laughs> <laughs> it was all I a dream, think, though. It's fine. I, I think that's... Every time I've seen a Vunapola-less England, we've looked better. Interesting, interesting theory. It makes, I, makes a bit of sense. I don't, know, I don't know if you noticed that England started... I hadn't noticed him in the backfield at all until about... 20 minutes to half an hour to go in, in the France game. And he started fielding kicks and they, they, they started to look a bit more effective running kicks back once he came into the backfield. Is that, is that until he dropped one? Did he drop one? Yeah. He did drop one, didn't he? Yeah. It, it, after Farrell, after Farrell missed, um, 
the first penalty in extra time, wasn't it? Yeah. And then, and then but it was one, one mistake. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to vilify him for for a single mistake like that. I think um, if you look at that England side, though, again, well, I've said it already, but there isn't a lot of doubt about a lot of the positions. Like you, you, you back. Take Billy out of it, but your two flankers are have, have both played very well. Atoje is I've never I don't think I've ever seen him have a bad game. Um He he is phenomenal, but, but there's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um you go know, back packs... about five years in long in uh, more over podcast history and you'll find uh, a podcast where I said I saw him in an under twenties game and he was amazing. So I called it. I called Maru Atoji. <laughs> you heard it on the Ball Over podcast first. Well, it's it's because he's such a massive Saracens fan. He's been watching him since he was nine. You know, you know who I have been impressed with um, in the times that he's played, and he had a, a really good game when he came on yesterday. Was Johnny Hill? I think he he is in the absence of Courtney Laws, um, and obviously George Cruz going to Japan. I think he is um, well worth his spot and more than capable at being that sort of third lock and interchanging with Launchbury or, or whoever. Yeah, I um, think they, they took Launchbury and Underhill off, didn't they, just after really half-time, yeah. which, which was weird. It was like, take him off at half-time, not the 42nd minute. But um, I think they were just trying to get a little bit more... Um, Ball carrying in, weren't they? Well, the um, line the line out was shit as well. Let's be honest, because Launchbury and Underhill would be what you would sort of class as sort of the workhorses of that team, yeah. really. Um, I think Launchbury's had a very good autumn. Um, well, he's taken advantage of. Being... He's kind of had to as well because yeah. he knows now's the time. Well, it's for his it. opportunity, isn't it? I think Jones he's Jones a very back. underrated player. Yeah. Coming back. Um, yeah. I, t- I mean, I. We probably haven't said it enough. Uh, you know, part of the reason England didn't play well was because France made sure they didn't play well. They, they made them very uncomfortable in the first half. And, you know, there were some really good performances from that team. And as you say, they had about nine caps between their back line um, if you took the full back out of it. So, you know, well done to them as well. Yeah, Jalibert looks to be a very good player, doesn't he? Dulan playing at 15, had a good game. There was a big... The big 12 they took off just after half time. Yeah, Dante. Yeah. Did you see him absolutely dispatch Owen Farrell into next week as well at one point? Um, which, you know, not the first time, probably won't be the last. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, France played very well. They had they had absolutely nothing to lose, did they? They had literally nothing to lose. Nobody well, expected anything. From, yeah, but nobody expected anything from that France team. So they could play without without any fear absolutely nothing to lose did you think that the final of the autumn nations cup was a must-win game <laughs> you're such a <laughs> but you know what i mean they were massive underdogs is what i meant and you know that <laughs> i think you know you're wrong <laughs> um yeah so but that's the end of international rugby um type 45 the... yeah Type 45 for the whole podcast. That's and half an hour. Just, just on the subject of number eight, Falatau for Wales was unbelievably good. Because I didn't, I didn't watch it. It's, it's basically if playing he, against a Bucks team, though, wasn't it? No, nah, if he'd not been playing, Italy would have beaten them. Italy yeah. actually played pretty well for an hour. They, but it goes, got... to, goes to show how shit Wales are at the moment. Can I just it? say, though, yeah. can I be the first to say, Ben, well done for watching that whole game. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's that's really good. That's the performance of the weekend. <laughs> I um, it was it was it was because I had a couple of quid on Italy to win, and at one oh. stage it looked like they were going to. And um, honestly, they they've got a good ten. He he's a good player. Carlo. Um, and no, it's not Canna. It's a youngster. Is, is it Garbisi? Is that his name? Garbisi. Yeah, and and uh, Z- uh, Zanon at, at thirteen. Um, Sounds like David Bowie song. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, they they like a like a player with a Z, don't they? Um, but yeah, Italy are actually starting to look like a team. Um, did you see um, the try? The flanker scored when did, um, did not see a single second of it. The no. the uh, what what's the um, Bristol fly half called? Callum Sheedy. No, not Sheedy, the youngster. Oh, Yoan Lloyd. Yeah, he 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 got brought on quite early at fullback, and he covered across to try and stop this. Well, let's not beat around the bush. South African flanker, and um, he might as well have just crumpled him into a ball and thrown him into the stands there's nothing better than seeing that you know and, and it he, he didn't have a lot of chance of making that tackle really you know I, I think half penny might have struggled but he absolutely just boshed him off it was um it was quite entertaining but yeah Falatau and Tipperich were the were definitely the difference in that game um I also didn't watch any of um Ireland versus Scotland. Oh, um, Hugh Jones came on. Do you remember when he was the best player in the world? Yeah, he couldn't even get into that. So Scotland picked Chris Harris and uh, Duncan Taylor in centres against Ireland. That they? was a weird game because I'll, I'll let you segue again here now, Doug, uh, Russ. But I um, I switched over at halftime to watch the Bath game and it looked for, for all the world like Scotland were going to win that at a canter. They're just... I mean... Scotland always flatter. Uh, they seem to be flattering to to deceive at the it moment. It was a very harsh yellow card, actually. The the one on Taylor when he, he came in for a tackle, and it was it was almost like one of those um, penalties you get in football now, where the players like tried to wedge his hands, his elbows to his hips, and it still hits his hand. It was almost like one of them, and he oh, well, got yellow we card. Can, we can talk about those all weekend, can't we? <laughs> um. And, and the good news for all of us is that Johnny Sexton says he's not retiring. So uh, that's that's decent news. He's he's going to play until his face becomes a black hole from where all his features are sucked into the middle to a pinpoint of light that's so dense nothing can escape. Oh, can I can I just revert back? I, I saw a tweet. Oh, I've been made aware of a tweet by a certain uh, Irish fan that we've not got. Um, the literally accused Amazon and the whoever, the Autumn Nations Cup organisers and Andrew Brace of corruption because England have got the biggest following, therefore would have had the biggest viewing figures on Amazon, therefore um, created themselves and and conspired to win the tournament. That was an actual, an actual tweet. Um, let's get into the premiership for a little bit. Um, whilst we're keeping this to a tight 45 minutes. Nailing it, aren't we? Um, yeah, as, while, as usual. While I've, um, <laughs> while I've just made myself um, just come out as, as racist on, on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you were, Doug. That is a, a, a tremendous crotch shot. Crotch shot um, there as well. 
And he's a sex pest. And he's a sex pest. <laughs> sex he's, pest. he's basically just revealed himself to Ben and I on, <laughs> on Skype. Um, uh, Ashton Gate, Friday night. Uh, Bristol Bears versus Northampton. Um, Northampton, Doug, you know, you made a decent analogy before we started recording. Um, if there was a way that they were going to lose that match, that was pretty much it, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, we look, we look decent. And to be fair, let's not um, beat around the bush. We weren't playing Bristol's number one team. We probably weren't playing their number two team. Um, I'd never heard of their fly half at kick the winning point. So there's that. Uh, but we played much better. Uh, defensively, there was more intent. Line speed was much better. We actually looked like we fancied tackling people. We looked like we fancied carrying the ball into contact. Um, and we made some positive inroads into what has been a very bleak start to the season. But in much the same way that when in the in the dark days leading up to Malinder's dismissal, there was kind of an, a sense of foreboding about the whole situation. And um, sure enough, Aaron Painter stuck his arm out and the ball was passed into it and gave away a penalty. Frustration is that I then did the London Irish game on Sunday and there was maybe three exactly the same kind of ball hitting arm in the process of a tackle that were either completely missed at least three i'd say probably closer to five or six um that were just given a straight knock-ons and i don't know how you officiate it consistently but when a team has lost nine games in a row and they lose a tenth in a row because of a vagary in the law it's it's hard to take but you kind of have to the truth of the matter is that saints didn't really offer anything outside of the first sort of half an hour 40 minutes which is a bit of a worry because our attack was the thing that i was sort of you could almost see that they basically spent a week smashing each other senseless in defense and not really concentrating on attack um and Bristol cope with us pretty easily in the second half uh, defensively. So building blocks, but a very frustrating way to lose. Very, very frustrating. Yeah. I mean, the last kick of the games are always going to be so. Um, Saturday, uh, Worcester Bath, Ben, you mentioned that you uh, you switched over from the, the Italy-Wales game or the Wales-Italy game to, to watch Bath against Worcester. Uh, how was that for you? It was good. I mean, it was an odd game. Um, Bath were getting their asses handed to them for about 20 minutes. Worcester um, probably could have scored two or three times and blew their chances. And then Bath got one try um, and then um, an interception. And from there, the result really wasn't in doubt. Um, Bath pack just got on top there. Um, but, you know, it was, it was quite a pleasing performance, really. They lost Matavisi and um, Priestman within the first 10 minutes. Yeah, um, that must have been must have been difficult. Who played at 10? Um, it was, uh, I think, well, Red Bath, Red Path and De Glanville between them just both played really well. I think 
as a rule, it was uh, red path in at, at, at 10. But um, the, the two of them had good games and um, Mercer played well. And, and, you know, the pack in general, Dunn's a very good player as well. Um, but they, um, yeah, you know, with that adversity, it was a really good performance. They even had Spencer kicking goals. Um, so Bath have got to be pleased with that. I know, obviously, they've had a rough start to the season, but, you know, with losing your, your fly half and your backup fly half in the first 10 minutes, you, they could have folded very easily. And, and, uh, and to, to come through in that manner away from home is, is really pleasing. Well, I, the, the shot on, um, uh, on Priestland was really well refereed, actually, because at first glance, it looked like a red card. Um, but he, it, was a, it was a legal tackle with a wrap. It was just he, they, they clashed heads and um, there wasn't even a penalty given. And, and although Twitter had a little whinge about it, I think that was the right decision. Hopefully, uh, pre-Priestland. Pre- I mean, they, we go into Europe now for a week anyway, for a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. don't we? So uh, it gives them a little bit, a little bit of a respite, a little bit of opportunity. Um, you mentioned their Bath had a bit of a tough start to the season. Obviously, they're, they're now on six points after three games and find themselves in sixth in the table. The the Premiership table is is making it's it's already starting to to take shape even after after three games. You know, Exeter have, have played three, got fifteen. And then you've got three or four, four sides who have who have won two of their three games. Newcastle, sorry, Newcastle have won three but haven't got any bonus points. And then you know you've got Irish Tigers, Gloucester, and Wasps, uh, and Worcester all have got one win. So I think there's going to be a lot of every uh, these teams beating each other. Um, Northampton gone then, are they? Well, I just mentioned Northampton because you haven't got a win yet. No, I thought I'd just leave them out for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I watched um, quite a bit of the Exeter Tigers game. Tigers actually played quite well for the first half. Um, kept Exeter at bay, good intensity in defence, really um, astute kicking game from Zach Henry, played really well in that first half. But in, in typical Exeter fashion, they just they ground Leicester down. They just kept the ball, and then in that second half, they absolutely murdered them. And, uh, you know, a bit like, and I say, I don't really want to compare Exeter to the All Blacks, but you know, like in, in so many games where you've watched New Zealand play, and for, for 40, 50, maybe even 60 minutes, the game has been quite tight. There's not really too much to choose between the sides. And then all of a sudden, they'll score, and then it will just be a massacre after that. It will just be try after try after try. And that's what Exeter do. They just grind teams down and, and and it took to 50 minutes and then they scored, what, four second half tries after after 50 minutes and Leicester just could not get back into the game. There were, Leicester conceded 20 penalties in the match. Um, lots of, lots of which were on their own try line without getting any, any yellow cards. Um, Typical sort of Maxwell Keys refereeing display, really. Um, <laughs> but you know, let, let's not dwell too much There's on that. There's some referees that are really enjoying themselves at the moment, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. Because old uh, Christoph Ridney loves to look up at the screen when he's on. Yeah, you know he what? Loves checking himself out. 
you know, you know, of all the games I watched at the weekend, you know, what I thought I had the best game, Luke Pierce. I thought yeah. he was on Friday night, but then, count, but, counting down the the. But mate, but then it, it's ridiculous because a referee has a good game and then he gets wanked off for the whole fucking whole fucking match, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, like they can't get enough of him. I honestly thought that they were going to go out and stroke him off. Yeah, they uh, Ugo and and Ben K, they were really on him, weren't they? Every time he he decided to count down the scrum half at the back of a ruck. Oh, Luke Pierce! What a great idea! You know, yeah. really guy. letting him, really letting him know what what's going on. What was uh, what was Rimmer's um, double from the the good the other unit the other? Diamond oh, it Red Dwarf. Yeah, Ace um, Ace oh, Rimmer. Ace. Ace Rimmer. That's it. Yeah, what a guy! <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine him walking through the changing rooms at the, at the refs convention and. And all the other refs go. Oh, look, there's Luke Pierce. A lot of those refs are a little bit Dwayne Dibley, though, aren't they? (laughs) Christoph Ridley is Dwayne Dibley. Christoph Christoph Ridley and Craig Maxwell Keyes are pretty much the same person. Maxwell Keyes (laughs) is is very uh, Dwayne Dibley, isn't he? I can't say Craig Maxwell Keyes purely for the way that he says advantage. (laughs) He says it without any Ds or Ts. (laughs) Advantage. Advantage. Hate it. It's if you if you look at them though, you've got you've got Ian Tempest and, and Tom Foley who appear to be the same person. You've got Christoph <laughs> Ridley and and Craig Maxwell Keys who could well be the same person. Do you reckon they look at um old Barnsley as as like Gandalf? <laughs> is is he Barnsley the Grey now? So you've got Barnsley, <laughs> Barnsley that's Gandalf, and then you've got Nigel Owens that's Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> I think actually Nigel Owens. Who who's bad Gandalf? I can't remember. Uh, not Saruman, the other one. Yeah, Saruman, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, that's bad Gandalf. Yeah. God, <laughs> this pod just hit new lows, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Ring Over Podcast. <laughs> oh, better than the Ball Ring Podcast. Um, right. Uh, any more rugby related stuff? You say you were at uh, London Irish at the Brentford Stadium on well, Sunday. Yeah, I was any at good? Newcastle Wasps as well. Oh yeah, you were. Let's talk about Newcastle a little bit. Yeah, Newcastle are a good team, man. They are. They run hard. They play hard, and they. I think they came out and just. They literally just came out and punched Wasps straight in the face. You know, like one of those fights. That, you get in films where it's like one bloke walks up to another one and, and the guy's like, what do you want? And then smack. <laughs> Without and warning. And, no and for the next 10 minutes, they just don't know what happened. They're like, what happened there? Um, like, like Indiana Jones shooting that, that guy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Wasps come out and they're all doing back moves. And then the new yeah. come out. Swinging his, we, we've got Barbary at eight. Yeah. Bang. Graham just comes out and punches you in the windpipe. Done. <laughs> because <laughs> um, they're not but, they're not they're not flashy are they newcastle like by no, some of their parts but, but they can be because they've got they've got for some reason they've got these amazing wingers they've got radwan um who, stevenson yeah stevenson was good they they've got um oh the old saints guy burrell yeah um, and flood and and their their tens really good as well. I, I really rate him. Um, and then in, in oh, the forwards they've got Conan. some big, yeah, they've got some big lads in the forwards who, who who get go forward and and 
George McGuigan, who I, I thought was very good before he moved to Leicester and then Leicester, he went to Leicester and sort of got stitched up a bit. I think he sort of got done by the young sort of uh, um, crime syndicate that sort of stopped people getting any game time um, and went back to Newcastle. And, and, and he, he had a couple of carries yesterday that looked good. And I think they're going to be all right. They're certainly better than the Saints. Um, the Saints won't be able to compete, compete with their physicality. And I think they might even challenge for a top six spot this year. Interesting. They're certainly better than Saints, Gloucester and Leicester. Um, and the game against Irish will be a big one. And potentially Worcester. So, yeah, they, they could comfortably finish top six. Uh, Wasps, on the other hand, just had a, one of those days. Gotham was off. Um, Umanga. Did Umanga, Umanga got a shot early doors, like he had been punched in the face? Um, and I've seen a picture of him. Looked like he had a couple of wisdom teeth removed. His yeah. face, his face was like hanging off the side of his head. Proper, like he had a, a massive egg inside it. Yeah, I, I think I remember it. I think it was only a penalty. Yeah. Just whether it threw him off his game a little bit. I, I just don't think the guy's very good. I'm, I'm calling it. I don't think he'll ever play for England. Well, that you know what that means. <laughs> Guaranteed to be in 120 the caps. He'll definitely yeah. play for England. Hey, look, um, I was right about a Tojo. I'll go to bed with that one. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I thought I thought Newcastle were brilliant, and they thoroughly deserved their win. Uh, We'll see how they get on once everyone's got all their internationals back. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then I was at Irish and Sale on Saturday. Sale, they're a bit like England. They're not fun to watch. They uh, don't, they've got no sort of, no no sort of um, ambition, I guess is the word I'd use. They, they sort of, they know they're bigger than most teams, so they're just sort of blunt force objects, really. They don't, they don't need to go wide. They don't. They don't need to use their wingers. Uh, obviously, got brilliant wingers, but they don't need to use them when you've got Van Rensburg and seven hundred Dupreas. Yeah, and all the South African G team. Yeah, um, and then the Irish, other game. Irish are decent, though. Sorry, Irish are decent, and um, Theo Brophy Clues came on and played a bit of fullback and looked properly good. Properly good. But Paddy Jackson was good. So, and the, the, it's not obvious why they're playing Paddy Jackson because he's on shitloads of money and is a good player. But Brophy, they've got a good one there. He's been around for a little while. That Brophy clues, isn't he? He just mm. he, he's had a couple of injuries, and I think they they rate him very highly, which is why they've obviously kept him around. Yeah. Um, was he in the England seven setup for a while? He? No, he's in the under twenty ones. Under twenties, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other game was Gloucester losing at home quite comprehensively to Harlequins. Um, Boyle, I haven't watched it. I don't really know. Esther Hazen took a red card. Did either of you see the kind of said no, 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 okay. Just do not interest me one little bit, other than if I was working there. <laughs> <laughs> because you love money. Um, uh, but yeah, a, a, a virtuoso display from Marcus Smith, from what I understand from reading a couple of match reports. Um that's kind of about it, I think. Have you got any more rugby-related matters you want to you want to talk about? 
No, European rugby next weekend, which will be yeah. Saints, Saints are playing, which I will be out on Friday. Against um, Bordeaux. That's an early kickoff. That'll be a nice early home for you as well, won't it? Half yeah, five then start. I'm at Bristol on Saturday and hopefully I won't need the poncho like I did this week as it honked it down during the D-Rig. Bristol-Claremont. That will be a good game, though, hopefully. Will um, Bristol have their England players back? Yes. Well, it, that's an interesting one because I think, <clears throat> from what I can gather, the the level or the the protocols were regarding England players and, and matches and, and all that sort of stuff. They miss 11 out of 12 premiership rounds, but as part of the, the thing, they're allowed to play in the European competition. So I think right. the England players will be playing in Europe and then you probably won't see them again. Is it maybe two or three rounds of European competition for the next two weeks, three weeks? And then you probably won't see them again till after Christmas, probably till the six nations. You would What think. a life, eh? Yeah. Um, other games, Braff, Scarlet, Spen, you'd hope uh, for a, a home win there, obviously. Yeah, it just depends how seriously they're going to take it, doesn't it? Well, they don't have to All take of these it seriously. Teams. Fucking Scarlets. Yeah. <laughs> um, three out in the centres. <laughs> but I'd play us at eight, nine, ten. <laughs> uh, Toulon against uh, Sale go to Toulon Wasps go to the Dragons um, Lentzer Montpellier who cares Edinburgh La Rochelle who cares I mean that, that Wasps Dragons game that could be 100 points couldn't it? Easily <laughs> Absolute De- massacre Defence optional uh, Gloucester go to Leon. they're going to get a pump in uh, Exeter at home to Glasgow. Russing uh, play Connacht and Munster against Harlequins. That's on Sunday. Um, yeah, I mean, this elongated, weird, tiered system of the Champions Cup is, I don't even understand it really. So, I mean, all of it is to uh, get two less rounds, right? Two less rounds and more teams and the two best teams from last season or. Two of the best teams last from last season in the same pool of three, so handy. Um, any other business, uh, Ben? For you? Um, yeah, uh, just just a sad one, really. Um, the there was a explosion in Bristol, um, uh, last week, and uh, one of the people that was killed was one of the Colts at my old club. Oh. Uh, young man called Luke, who was uh, sixteen, I believe. So, um really sad news and uh, thoughts go out to everyone involved. Agreed. Hmm. Doug? Um, well, I was going to moan about, you know, pre-match taking longer than the actual match, but I kind of did that and probably alienated 95% of my listenership. So, uh, including 33% of this podcast. So, <laughs> I, I won't do that. <laughs> um, but I, I will say it was nice to have some um, people back in a rugby stadium. I didn't think I'd be that bothered, but it actually did make quite a big difference to see people and, and to see people with a, a smile on their face. Not that you could see their face through their face mask, but a smile in their eyes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Apart from uh, if you watch the highlights of the game, you might see one child that was apoplectic before the game with rage. And bawling his eyes out, so that the parents were glad they paid for that ticket. Did you like clip him around the ear because he touched your camera or something? <laughs> I think I think he was just mad that 
we were kneeling for something and then <laughs> praying for something else. And then we had to build a wall of peace across the 22 <laughs> and then <laughs> and then plant a rose garden in, in the Ingole area in memorial of some old tart that died three weeks ago. And then, you know, lay a shirt down on the centre circle, you know, and then we'd all put pin badges on each other as a show of respect for Blue Peter. It, you know, I don't, yeah, I think it was that. What was the, um, like the stadium protocols like with, with the fans there and, and entry and exit are, and stuff like that? Uh, not, for, for us, it just meant we had to be on camera half an hour early so we didn't um, cross paths with the, the great unwashed. Yeah, you wouldn't want to uh, mix with with the common public, would you? Not really. Just Just hate the general public. Agree. Um, I'll, I'll end it off on a on a relatively sad note. Well, it's not relatively sad. It's it's actually sad. Uh, Peter Alice, the voice of for most people, the voice of golf, um, sadly passed away. And you know, I know uh, I've not watched golf for many many years, but I do know how how long he's been commentating for, and you know, the voice of the Open, and and listening to him on the BBC. He uh, he's been a lot of people's sort of go to in, in the golf commentary world. So sad news the uh, the death of Peter Alice and uh, yeah, very very sad. I didn't even know where to end that. I just started just better stop talking. Uh, right, that was a real real good forty five minutes, lads. Thanks very much. <laughs> Thanks very much for that. Um, we'll be back next week potentially to talk about some. Um, European rugby action. Hopefully it'll be decent. We might have uh, the pet vet back after he's finished slaying all that pussy. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, we'll see you next week. Go well. Podcast Network.